0: Following is a presentation from your friends at ForceCast.net. It's The ForceCast. Home to the official podcast of force.net I feel the force. And Rebelscum.com. You rebel scum. Here they come! This is The ForceCast Clone Wars Roundtable. You fought in The Clone Wars? Information, commentary, and discussion about Star Wars The Clone Wars. This is where the fun begins. In Laser Clinkers! Now, the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. Anakin, Rex, Cody, pull back! All troops, pull back! It's the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. I
1: have a bad feeling about this. Begun. The Clone War has. Incoming! All batteries return fire.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Clone Wars Roundtable here at the Force Cast Network. We're going to be talking about episodes 15 and 16 of Season 3, Overlords, and Altar of Mortis. Of course, Overlords was certainly worthy of its own standalone roundtable, but the weather gods were against us. So we got a double dose of Clone Wars roundtable goodness for you. And my, my, what a panel we've assembled to talk about these two episodes, which is good because I'm terrified. I feel like I need multiple degrees In psychology, religious studies All of the above To to even talk about these episodes It's heavy stuff Heavy stuff Helping us out, helping me out as always My good friend and yours, Jimmy Mack
0: Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. As Jason said, it's a double shot of Clone Wars goodness tonight as we analyze, dissect, digest, and discuss the first two episodes of the Mortis Trilogy. Overlords and Altar of Mortis, a game changer with implications for the saga on a whole. And I'm looking forward to getting into this amazing double feature tonight with our amazing guests here on the Clone Wars Roundtable.
2: And our first amazing guest is the voice director at LucasArts... Good friend of ours on the Force Cast here, Mr. David Collins. David, welcome! Your first Clone Wars roundtable.
3: Thank you so much, and boy, what a great roundtable to be a part of! These two episodes are just, just incredible. We got a lot to talk about.
2: I know, I know. It's 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 really uh, like I said. I'm I'm intimidated. I'm intimidated, and we needed a pro. We needed a real podcasting pro to help us through, and we we we, we got him out of mothballs. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the artist formerly known as Big Honkin', Steve Glosson, Steve glossin
4: <laughs> welcome back to I, hello, I, I feel like i need a neat come in like a neat uh greetings like what jovial jay shepherds has you know salutations fellow force fanatics
2: no no that's uh, just a crutch that's just okay. a crutch well,
4: I'm, i am i am super excited to be here to talk star wars inception and star wars lord of the rings <laughs> <laughs>
3: God, that's really funny that you say that, especially the Lord of the Rings part. You know, there was well, we'll get into it in a little bit a little bit later, but the end of Altar of Mortis. I mean, the music cue was so fellowship that I just almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yep,
2: <laughs> it definitely was. I mean, th- there were so many different references. Let's talk about the uh, the tale of the tape here on these particular episodes. We are talking about episodes fifty nine and sixty. Uh, original air dates, January 28th, 2011, and February 4th, 2011, for those of you listening to this in the future. Both episodes written by Christian Taylor. And, uh, the first episode, uh, Overlords, directed by Stuart Lee, and Altar of Mortis, directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. And, uh, those names, of course, very familiar to those of you, uh, that are watching The Clone Wars and listening to the, to the, to the round table. All right. First of all, we'll start. You know what? We're going to start with the new guy, David. Dave Filoni says on the commentary for Altar of Mortis that he said to Christian Taylor, look, it's like these three episodes take place in the tree on Dagobah. They are Mm -hmm. all spiritual. They are all metaphor. They are all symbolic of everything. That takes place in all six Star Wars films. It's very bold. So, how do we even begin to talk about these episodes, David? Is it in universe? Is he talking about metaphor within the Star Wars universe, or metaphor for our own universe, or both?
3: Well, I, I you know, I took when he said that, I took that as as meaning that it, he's talking about metaphors um, within the Star Wars symbology, particularly with Anakin and uh, him being the Chosen One, and what does that mean? I mean, it's absolutely right. I mean, what's so great about these episodes, obviously I haven't seen the third one yet, but these first two episodes in this trilogy is that it really kind of takes place out of time. And and I have to say that, you know, I love the Clone Wars, but some of my favorite episodes are when they stray from the actual battle against uh, the Separatists. And it it gets into the the core mythology. It's not something they can do. Very often, obviously, because it, it, uh, it is a weekly show, but when they do it, it has to be impactful and special. And, boy, you learn so much about Anakin, and, and it almost feels like this, um, this vision quest of Anakin's you know that he's he's going on this this spiritual journey and everything is a symbol you know you have the light side of the force and the dark side of the force just personified by the father and the son and and and, and the things that happen there really kind of expand on on the mythology especially touching on the chosen one thing i mean that's something that that showed up a little bit in episode 1 and and, and um you know didn't really there was so much story being told in episode 3 and so much to wrap up we really didn't really t- touch on it as much and exploring that has been really Really cool, and, and I don't know if you guys feel this, but especially with um, with these two episodes, it almost felt like, uh, I was saying this to Sam, uh, we, were, uh, we were talking about it, and I said it almost feels like uh, it's Dickensian, it's like Charles Dickens, you will be visited by three spirits, you know, yeah, it's got this kind right. of kind of, um, this journey, uh, almost out of time. Is it real? Is it not? You're going to go and you're going to meet these spirits and you're going to basically learn your own identity and, and, uh, and discover who you are and go through these trials and hopefully come out on the other end a little bit wiser. Of course, we know he still turns into Darth Vader, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, it, I, 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 mean, I was just blown away and, um, uh, it, it's calling these episodes, um, Saying that these episodes take place like in the in the uh, in the forest tree on Dagobah is exactly right, and there is so much uh, symbolism and and so many callbacks, almost like echoes to the films. I mean everything. I mean Sam Mortis, the character himself, was doing it. I mean sometimes he sounded like uh, Star Killer, sometimes he sounded like Vader, sometimes he sounded like the Emperor, and then at mm. one point he actually is kind of a, a dark side Yoda. You know, yeah, I mean, right, in, in Alter right. Mortis. I mean, there's there are all of these echoes. that like happen. Bizarro Yoda. Like Bizarro Yoda, yeah, Dark Side Yoda. It's just so interesting and so well animated, and and um, and just freaky. And I don't know about you guys, but I got chills when, when during the Shmi scene, Shmi Skywalker yeah. scene, and she calls, um, she talks about her future and, and says that uh, uh, talks about Anakin's future and says that that um, Padme is a poison and yes. she says, who are you and she says your fate and it just uh just freaked me out it was so great yeah
2: yeah very very christmas carol i mean it it was you said it was uh very dickensian and, and 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 there's so many different influences um throughout these episodes scattered throughout it's 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 really incredible uh steve right out of the gate on the uh episode guide it says look make no mistake you know these episodes dive into the concepts of the force and ancient prophecy like never before And it is an unusually deep exploration direct from George Lucas of some of the saga's biggest concepts. And Dave Filoni talks about he was actually out of the room when George was doing the initial pitch about this. Um, It says, while there will undoubtedly be questions about how much that is experienced in the mortis realm can be defined as real, the answers will surely depend on your own point of view. So I ask you... uh, Steve, do we talk about these episodes and these events as if they are real events happening in the Star Wars universe, or well, you think that, we're going to wake
4: up and it's all a dream? And that—that that was kind of in the south. We have the word smidgen. I had a smidgen of a problem with these episodes, in, in as much as you know, we know that Star Wars has always been as much, if not more, fantasy than science fiction, and and these episodes felt a little too fantasy um Hmm. to me but when you when you read the when you talked about the quote from dave filoni that this is like all of this is happening you know it's like it's happening in the cave on dagobah um that totally is like oh i'm good man i'm I'm fine (laughs) um you know because because regardless of if it's a vision or not it really happens to these characters you know they experience these things uh, That's a, a great reason. point. That's a great you know? point.
2: Whether it really happens or not, you know, it's just like having a a really bad dream. You can wake up. Your house is your your heart's pounding out of your chest. You're you're sweating. It doesn't matter whether it was a dream. It felt
4: real to you, right? Yeah, yeah. And and with force visions and that sort of thing, you know, there's a purpose and a meaning behind those things. And 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 the overall arc so far in these first two episodes uh, of this of this trilogy is really a, a deep foreshadowing of everything that is to come. Um, you know, and so I, I, you know, as I think about it, it's it's intriguing, and it's really just, it, it's, it's something that I'd never expected from the Clone Wars or even Star Wars, this much of a look into uh, the Force. I mean, because when, you, when we're done with this trilogy, you're talking about, you know, 70, 80 minutes worth of, of simply talking about and looking into the nature of the force. And that's something that you don't get in the entirety of six movies. Jimmy,
2: some of the criticism that fans have had about these episodes is that they didn't want to see the force personified. Literally. They didn't want to think that the force actually exists because of these three characters, the father, the son, and the daughter. Um, do you see them as metaphor or do you see them as actual living embodiments of the light side and dark side of the force and the, the, the balance?
0: Well, they clearly understood what their own power was and maybe they accept that for themselves. But do they actually embody the force, the light side, the dark side in the, the fulcrum, the balance, which would be the father, obviously? Um, I still have yet to be sold on the idea that they are the actual embodiment of the Force. And there's a lot of things going on here that make me suspicious of that. But the main thing is, and I think it was Big Honkin who said it's Inception, but I also think it's like Wizard of Oz. Instead of being in the house flying through the sky in a cyclone and then, poom landing in the land of Oz. Mm lock out the door, and you're into Munchkin City. Instead of the house, you have this shuttle that the Jedi are flying in. They go into the light, and they apparently pass out. Right. And they wake up, and they're on this incredible world. Very very Star, Star Trek IV, by, by the way. Did you, did you catch the Star Trek IV uh,
2: where, where they went totally the white?
3: I swear! What's happening? You, you hear those crazy whales? Yeah,
4: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I thought you were referring to when Anakin and Obi Wan were arguing about what to go, and Anakin said, "Well, double dumbass on you."
2: No, no, no. That was something right. else. No, no. This was. I mean, th- there were two things that struck me. Is hey, they say all the scopes are dead and the, then which was you know borrowing from Luke landing on Dagobah and in in addition to the the Star Trek four reference i mean you remember when luke crash lands on dagobah everything goes white as he's entering in the atmosphere and uh, so that kind of reminded me uh, of that whole bit but jim you brought up the setup you know they're they're responding to a 2000 year old jedi distress distress code and so the Jedi show up, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan and Anakin, and they're to rendezvous with the fleet. They have radio communications temporarily and all of a sudden, you know, and they're both saying that they're there at the at the specified coordinates, but they can't see each other. Um so that's the setup. So they so they show up there and Jim what you're saying is this is like, you know, bonk on the head and Thus, you have this, this hallucination or this uh, whatever you want to call it. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? That this is, this is fantasy or this is like a collective dream that the three of them are having? Or is this just Anakin's dream? Or is it just Ahsoka's dream? Whose dream
0: is it? All of the above, it could be. I mean, we, know. <laughs> we still need to see part three. That is one of the questions I have. Yeah. And that is the basis of my suspicion for everything that is unfolding because of the fact that they seemingly passed out, and here they are on what they keep calling a planet, but it's
2: not; like, it's an orb.
0: Right? It shouldn't look Which like. it kind of looked like I've
3: a I've holocron, didn't it?
2: It did yes. look a bit like a yeah, holocron. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
3: I had this, um, you know, there were a lot of throw. You know, we could probably talk about. Um, you know, design quite a bit because there are a lot of design throwbacks and echoes to to very uh, uh, very familiar Jedi relics. Um, you know, Sam brought up a really good point. He said, "I love how the dagger of Mortis and the altar of Mortis kind of just." Um, uh, apparated out of smoke, you know, mm-hmm. that dagger. Mm-hmm. Almost as if the lightsaber was sort of a crude modern technology version of this ancient Jedi relic that's long since forgotten. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost just a symbol of that dagger, that sort of thing. Like, there ah. were all these crazy little... Um, Design touches that really echoed what you knew, what what, every, what everyone knows about the Jedi Order, and certainly what Anakin Obi and Ahsoka know about it. But almost, anyway, almost like interrupt. when you
2: see, you know, ancient civilizations, whether the Egyptians or the Mayans or whatever, and they had almost like, you know, kind of a, their own version of certain modern technologies. Kind of mm-hmm. a thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, very cool. I, I I never thought of that. That's very cool. All right, let's talk about these characters. Um, the, the, obviously, the big three here: the father, the son, and the daughter. And 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 what do they represent? Um, we first the first one we meet is the daughter, and and right away, David, she's asking, "Are you the one? Are you the one?" And she says, "We're the ones who guard the power. We're the beginning, the middle." And the end, you know, and it's a lot of this kind of I mean, is is this a safe way for the writers to say something without saying anything? Or do you think they're really saying something here
3: in, in terms of the characters? Um, in terms, of the, Well, this is what I think in general about these characters. I think, you know, I, I think we're at a point where. We are not far enough away from this, from these episodes, to really know how real they are. I mean, I feel like, you know, worried about worrying about them personifying the light and the dark side, and worrying about whether or not that's canon, or whatever. It, it, it's almost missing the point of of the dream. I mean, I really do think that this is. Mm. A vision. I mean, it's it's a, it's a storytelling tool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a way of it's a way of showing Anakin you are pulled by this force and you are pulled by that force, and yet you can control both and you can tell them both to kneel when you're really pushed. Um, you know, and and um, it's almost like it's almost like a he, he, he's on a, a journey of discovery and he and he sees the light side of the force. I mean, I kind of looked at it like. You know, he, the, he sees the light side of force. That's what you're born into. Everything's beautiful when you're there. And mm. as you move along, you see the dark side. You know, you ah. see it all around you. And, and, um, and those two are, um, fight each other and are, are kind of at odds with each other, mm-hmm. you know. And, and this, uh, this symbol being the balance, you know, between the two of them. And, and I thought it was so strange that Anakin just instinctively sat Indian style in front of the father as soon as he saw him. You know, which ah. is kind of weird. And then, you know, later on he says, you know, enough of the, enough riddles, old man. He says something like that. Right, you know, but right. He f- was very, um, you know, reverential towards him. Like he was really, uh, I mean, really respectful and like, I'm in front of some kind of deity. I understand this power that I'm in front of. And, uh, well,
2: actually, Obi-Wan and Anakin kind of allude to it. I, I found this little exchange interesting. When they first um, land there, um, you know, Obi Wan is 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 kind of. It's like they don't want Ahsoka to know that they kind. Of, it's kind of like when you try to. Like, you don't want. You're talking to your spouse, or whatever. You don't want the kids to know you're kind of freaked out. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I feel it too. You know, when they first got there, and they're kind of, you know, they're not in, in, involving Ahsoka in the conversation that there's something something's out of place, as Obi Wan might say. Uh, something mm-hmm. just doesn't doesn't add up when they right away when they get there.
3: Yeah, and, and I think part of it is, is that they're constantly talking about how they're just reflections of what's around them. You know, um, almost like it, it, just, it just is. You have such a simple view of it, but the forms we take are, are forms that you are projecting. You know, uh, um, uh, Qui-Gon says to Obi-Wan, when he says, Why, how are you here? He goes, I'm here because you're here. You know, it's, it's, planet is filled with the force, you know, was Obi-Wan actually, or was Qui-Gon actually talking to Obi-Wan? I I don't know. I, my personal feeling is probably, probably not, but I mean, Obi-Wan brought that there, you know, only what you take with you, like, strikes back, right? So these are, these are, you know, these are spirits, or I should say the light side and the dark side personified to me as sort of a story tool to tell us more about Anakin, you know, and, and how he interacts with these, with these, um, with these spirits and, and how they, um, the forms that they take really are a reflection of our hero characters that we love and we've been following for years. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that to me is what I thought the writers were trying to say to go back to your original question, you know, they're curious about Anakin and, you know, because Anakin is the, the, the focal point of this. He's, you know, he's really, um, this is really about him and exploring the chosen one and and getting into all that metaphor, light side, dark side, the chosen one means that the entire star, uh, star Wars saga really rests in the character, character of Anakin Skywalker and the story of the Skywalker family. That's kind of how I interpreted it. You know, um, the, the balance, you know, he's supposed to bring balance to the force and was able to do that in the overlords episode. And, and, um, and then struggled with it you know in, in the second episode, and i don 't know i 'm still processing it to be honest, but I just, <laughs> I just had all these crazy thoughts like this. I was like, "Oh, what does it mean you yeah know?
2: right, right, and i I kind of I appreciate what you 're saying, David, where you say that you know maybe we 're just a little too close i mean are we are we are we trying to be too literal have we some, I, I started wondering to myself like if i have I lost my imagination, I mean, why am I trying to make so much sense out of this
3: it 's hard to know you know. It, it, it's hard to know how um, how things impacted someone when the first time you heard "I am your father," and to, unless you know you go back <laughs> to 1980 or you've never seen the movie or something. You know, it's yeah. it's hard to know. And we're in that place now. You can't really ever escape the the chronology of of creation is kind of what I call it. You know, I mean this we we this is what's being told now after six films and two and a half seasons of the Clone Wars. You know, and and well, that's a, well, that's
2: a, that's a good point, J- Jimmy Mack, Let me ask you. What did you make of the cave scene in Empire Strikes Back when you first saw it as a you know 11- or 12-year-old kid? When Luke decapitates Vader, the, the helmet explodes, and you see Luke's face inside. What did you think of it? Were you trying to figure out where this took place somehow in, in canon? Were you worried about that?
0: No, no, no. Of course I wasn't. I, I knew it was a vision that was being presented to Luke to teach him something about himself and something about where his powers can take them if he lets them go crazy. Uh-huh. Um, here's here's a, an interesting thought I, I can recall from being a, an 11-year-old watching Empire Strikes Back in 1980 was that I, I can recall going back to the theater several times that summer To see the film again, it always seemed like that scene surprised me as if I kind of put it out of my mind because it was so heavy I couldn't even really analyze it. And so I remember seeing the film for the first few times. And when that scene would happen, it always felt like I was seeing it for the first time because for some reason I refused to let myself commit that to my memory Because I couldn't accept what its meaning was. Mm. As I start to learn more about what I believe the concept of the Force is and what Yoda was trying to teach Luke, I realized that that was a vision in the Force presented to Luke by Yoda. It might be even something that you can consider a Jedi trial which still have not been completely defined as to what those actually are. And I have more to say about the Jedi trials later on, but it could have been maybe one of his first actual trials. Yoda tells him, you only take in there what you bring with you. And what does Luke do? He straps on his holster and he's got a firearm. So he's taking the dark side in there. The dark side manifests itself as a vision showing Luke that he can become the very evil he hates so much. Mm. So that's kind of how I looked at the original tree cave scene. But you could take a more
2: you could take a more literal look at that and say that it was also maybe there to plant the seed for softening the blow about his his origin. Yes, that he is also that he's the offspring. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's I actually always took it that way. I actually took it. Of course, the way the order that I saw the films and when I was, you know, it kind of probably changes my perception. But that, I also took it that way, so I'm always looking at a more literal uh, way to interpret these. But I do want to ask before we leave the, the subject of the daughter, and I feel bad; I feel like she's getting the short shift because, well, you guys know the in- villains are always more interesting. So we got to talk about the son. But, but Steve, uh, there was something very um, kind of uh, biblical Christian to me about the uh, the daughter, where she kept making excuses. For the son. She kept telling no matter what the son was doing, she kept pleading with her father to not hate him. It's not his fault. Uh, She couldn't interfere in the ways of the force. Um, It's you know, it's it's just his nature. She kept saying it's just it's just his nature. And it was almost it reminded me of the biblical uh, uh, quotation, you know, forgive them, father. They know not what they do. So yeah, what's yeah. going on with the the daughter and, and her relationship? Very dysfunctional with her brother.
4: You know, it's it's really interesting to me. And I was thinking about this, and, and you have to jump ahead on into the second part of this trilogy to to kind of to to nail some of these things down. The the father talks like he's the one maintaining balance here, but it's it's this daughter who is continuously calming him down toward the son.
0: Hmm. You know, it's it, it, interesting. You
4: almost you almost get the idea that I don't know there, there's something when when the father finally started letting loose. I understood what he was doing, and I didn't <laughs> think he was tipping toward the dark side, you uh-huh. know. But I, I do think that that you see this embodiment, and yet and I want to be careful because I know there's that controversy there. But you do see this this representation, I think, is a better word of the light side, kind of pulling. You know this this man who's supposed to be maintaining the balance away from the darkness. Um, mm. You know, and and I think it's more of a statement. Ah, but could uh, you say? Could you say, Steve? Sorry, but I, uh, could you say that? Well, the
2: actions of the sun are actually pulling him towards the dark well, side, and,
4: and that right? and and that's the thing. I, I think that's what I was about to say. Is is I think what what one of the things we get to see, and and based on even the previews for the next episode, I think we're really seeing just how seductive the dark side is. Not necessarily that it's more powerful, you know, but Yoda even said it's quicker, it's easier, it's more seductive. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's so easy to fall into that place where you're acting out of anger or you're acting you're out reacting. of fear. No, and, yeah. and And I think that, to me, that's what I saw. I'm like, I said, there's something not quite right here, because if this man is supposed to be maintaining balance between these two forces of nature, or whatever it is that they are, the representation of the dark, the representation of light, if he 's really maintaining the balance then um, then then why is the daughter having to do so much work to pull him away from the dark side? Um, uh, on the same token, I, something kept going through my mind that George Lucas has said. When we talk about balance of the force, and, and I'm sure you're going to get into this, Jason, when we talk about the balance of the force, we tend to do the yin-yang thing, you know, where it's two equal uh, opposing forces in opposition with one another, and and there's just a constant struggle, and if, and if the scales tip one way or the other, then it's out of balance. But George Lucas said, and I think it was on the featurette about Darth Vader on the episode three DVDs, he he said that you know when when Anakin comes back to the light side and he destroys the Emperor, that was bringing balance to the Force by getting rid of evil in the galaxy, mm-hmm. and so you get the idea that the Force itself is not in balance as long as the dark side has any type of of influence or, or control in the situation. And so it's, it's a different, it's a lot different than that Zen kind of look at things, you know, than that yin yang kind of look at things. And so, and and so that's something that kept coming back to me as I watched this, that, that, that I think Lucas even has something deeper in mind than just this basic balance that we think of when we think about the balance of the force. And, you know, we saw that basic balance at the end of of the first episode there is Anakin, you know, like a man just said, "Uh-uh, this isn't happening, you know," and took control of both of those those critters to use another southern term and <laughs> you know and 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 as David put it so well, both of them knelt before Anakin, like he brought them to their knees yeah and um and again, that's not someone bringing balance to a situation as much as it is controlling a situation, which i is there a difference is you know is is it just semantics at that point? I don't know. Uh, I have all the answers of Jimmy Mac. Uh, well,
2: well, wow, that's heavy stuff, Steve. Um,
4: <laughs> I don't. I don't even. Sorry. No.
2: No. 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 It's 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 all good stuff. Um, I, I I I see what you're saying, uh, and I was picking up on that a little bit too, where you know it, it felt as though the the daughter was certainly the one that was kind of exerting a little bit over the over the father, but then I thought, well, but it's also, you know, like I said, it's the actions of the the son that was driving, you know, making the father very angry and of course then driving him closer to the dark side. Um,
4: Jimmy Mack, but what you're or, Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. You, you right. I mean you know to go back to your original question, I totally see what you're saying there to to kind of draw it into the Christian the Christian mythos, the Christian mythology, as far as here is everything that is supposed to represent good, um not giving a pass to evil but but being willing to atone i guess you would say hmm. for evil. Mm-hmm. And and so and I, and I think that speaks volumes about what George Lucas sees um good as being. Good good is not just that which fights the darkness it's that which not only fights the darkness but also does the work to pull those who are in darkness, out of darkness, whatever that may be. And, right. I, and, and I think that that's compassion, still at, showing
2: compassion. Yeah, you still get yeah, the sense. Yeah. You actually also, uh, Jimmy, you get the sense that there's that there's a degree of compassion for the, the daughter on behalf of the son. He doesn't really see that the, the daughter is his enemy. He sees the father is the enemy.
3: To say he yells "why" when she dies and takes right. off into the sky, right? He didn't say no. Didn't yell at anger. He yelled "why" as if you know, and then and then and then and then just took off. And I I I, I can't stop thinking about that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Please continue. That was,
0: that was yeah. a pretty powerful moment. And uh, the reason I think that the sun. It, is it compassion? I don't know if it's compassion. I think he recognizes the balance must be maintained. And if the balance is to be between the light and the dark, he knows by killing off the dark, he has just thrown the Force into an unbalanced state. Yeah, but that's Maybe what he that, wants. That's what he wants, that, isn't he it? is not Is that what he wants? He also wants to destroy the Sith, and he wants to destroy the Jedi. It seems like...
3: Well, the Sith want to destroy the Sith. Just in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's the rule of two. Yeah. Um, So I think that primarily the fact is is that he did not want to kill his sister. He recognizes the importance of having his sister in the universe to provide the balance. And he also may have been thinking that she is someone he could eventually corrupt and turn over to the dark side with him. See, thus, I think that's powerful. I think that's more. What it was Jim. Uh, yeah, thanks, I, Steve. Because I think that they they made a big point of her noticing that he was feeding off yes. the negative energy. Yeah, he was feeding off the evilness that was being being promoted by Ahsoka fighting with. Well, and it made Obi- you,
2: it made me wonder, like, okay, all right, who's really behind this? I mean. Uh, it seems from the beginning that it was the father that brought, that lured Anakin and company there. He wanted Anakin to replace him. He's getting older. He's not as powerful as he once was, and he needs somebody there to maintain the balance. But then you also get a sense by the end of the second episode that these were also, this was also, uh, part of the machinations of the son. He needed, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka there. To uh, have their conflict, so he would grow stronger because he was definitely growing stronger in the dark side. Uh, just like you said, Jim, feeding off of their negative energy. Uh, but he also needed he also needed that dagger, and he needed to put a plot in place that would that would that would put them right where they were at the moment that Ahsoka hands him the dagger with the father right there. That was his moment. Everything was leading up to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then just you know, he wasn't counting on his sister to jump in between, you know because because he wasn't counting on that because she
3: doesn't interfere, uh-huh. but she did interfere. Go ahead, David. I was just going to say it's it's so interesting that um, you know one of the one of the main themes about Anakin Skywalker is this idea of how love turns into possession. And yeah. and uh, real love, and Shmi says it too. Uh, real love. It's not real love if you are obsessed with it and possessed with it, and you're it, you're being eaten up by your guilt. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the the main line in the first episode was balance is found in the one who faces his guilt. And it's interesting because we talked about how they're echoes. These 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 characters are echoes of of what you take in with you mm-hmm. and here uh here Anakin has this big scene in Overlords about about uh, feeling guilty over his mother and and thinking all he can think of is is that if he lost his love he would go crazy and he would go to the dark side and then you see mortis stab the sister and he he exits in a fury of of absolute rage and pain and says why almost in this kind of echo of of uh, of Anakin you know losing his mother like mm. you know killed his sister and anakin feels responsible for the death of his mother and feels responsible for padme's life too as we know it will eventually happen and and again it's those echoes again it's everything that will be everything that will come and and um and even even luke skywalker's story it's, it's really interesting and i can't remember what, steve if it was you that drew the parallel between uh you know uh uh, uh luke and and the daughter or or um but basically the daughter walks into this throne room and there's this scene that's even framed it's even you know shot from the same angle as the emperor in the throne room of Return of the Jedi watching the uh, door happening outside as you hear this uh, muffled or see this muffled lightsaber Mm. fight out the window Mm -hmm. and he's staring out there and and even says sister you know there's yeah
2: oh yeah
3: yeah. yes yes very very deliberate um yeah and, and there everything is just happening out of time I mean it's it's Everything is out of time. Everything is symbolism. It's all you know. It really is just an exploration of of these themes. And and um,
2: you know, you 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 made me think of something, uh, David. If I I wrote down, just paraphrased a few of Shmi's lines that she gives to Anakin. And as I was sitting here listening to you, I was kind of reading through these. And all of a sudden, I said, "Well, wait a minute. It, It wasn't Shmi. It was the sun." Right. And if you go back and you read the, the script and take, out, take out, uh, out the fact that it's Shmi, what you get is the son saying to Anakin, nothing ever really dies. Everything you have done, everything you have learned has led you here. You are more than a Jedi. Where is your pain so I might take it away? Your guilt does not define you. You define your guilt. If you, t- if you strip away the fact that it's an apparition of Shmi... It's very much in line with the son.
4: Okay, okay, I've got to go back and watch that. Is that the son or is that the daughter?
3: It, it is. I mean, we, in fact, they even reinforce that when uh, Anakin comes in and, and points his lightsaber right at the face of the father and says, You know, you are Sith. Who was that in my room? And he says, Oh, that sounds like my son. And also okay, that's
0: mind, right. Also, keep in mind that uh, he did reveal himself to Anakin when the Shmi illusion turned into the gargoyle. Yes. And and you very quick. That's true. That's true. He did reveal himself. Also keep in mind out of these three uh, visits, let's just call them. um, You had Shmi visiting Anakin in his sleep. He woke up. And she actually made contact with him. It was the only time any of these visions made contact with the person they were appearing to. That's because it, I believe that was the only one that was absolutely false. I believe that the Qui-Gon vision that Obi-Wan received, I believe that was actually the spirit of Qui-Gon Jinn himself. Wow. Mm-hmm.
3: I really, I do believe that. All right. I,
0: well, what about Ahsoka? What about ah, Ahsoka. Ahsoka, was- she was having a dream very similar to the dream that Anakin has at the beginning of the second episode, "Altar of Mortis," when he sees himself. He sees himself and he communicates with himself, and then. But well, know, we
2: know we, we know that the, that the sun has the ability to get inside your head. I mean, you see that with with Ahsoka at the after he kidnaps her and he uncuffs her as the little you know Bizarro Yoda. And he starts talking to her, and she gets real kind of confused and holds her head. Um, but then he has to bite her, which mm-hmm. uh, you know we, we, we can talk about that in a minute. But uh, Jim, I I've I, I got to tell you, I think you're wrong here. I do not. You really want to believe that this is really Qui Gon? I do not think this is Qui Gon here.
0: I do. I, I absolutely I do. I mean, he was the one who appeared in the. Mo- he was the most spectral of all the forms. Shmi was completely flesh and bone she was able to make contact with Anakin and like, you know, hold his arm and everything and lean up against him. And he was revealed as being the son so that we ruled that one out. We ruled the Shmi one out. The Ahsoka one, I believe was a dream. It was a force dream where she was seeing herself just like Anakin was seeing himself in his force dream. Now the one with Qui-Gon, that Mm -hmm. was because Obi-Wan was there in that cave which was an amplification of the force via those crystals. And it was it, Qui-Gon was able to finally break through. And when he broke through, what did he do? He asked for an update right away because he's not omnipresent. He was able to finally break through at this moment because of the fact that Obi-Wan was on this planet, this conduit, this intersection of the force. That is, that's why it wasn't like Obi-Wan could ever like conjure him up. Or communicate with him like Yoda eventually learns how to do by the end of Revenge of the Sith. This was just a chance thing that happened. And Qui-Gon, the spirit of Qui-Gon took advantage of this portal to go and communicate with his former student just for a brief amount of time. But I believe that uh, the the vision of Shmi was a, a hoax. A lot of people are claiming that simply because the sun was the vision of Shmi, then immediately... The daughter was the vision of the older Ahsoka. I don't think so. I think that was a forced dream, that and Ahsoka has shown like a sort of talent for looking into the future, much like Anakin can and much like Luke can. Mm. So that's that's why I think that's how I break it all down. Well, I tell right. you what, I I, I I gotta say, Jason, go I gotta ahead. say
4: I was totally on your side, and I don't know now. I'm uh, totally leaning towards James. Well,
2: I, I I tell you what, I absolutely believe that. Um, the Ahsoka vision is was definitely the sun as well, because the Sun's goal is to divide all of these people. That's the Sun's goal. And what and what Shmi was trying to do there was divide, and what Ahsoka's vision, the older Ahsoka was trying to do was divide. So I think their motives are the same. I think they were the, they were they are the same. The QuiGon they- thing the QuiGon thing I think is just a manifestation of what Obi-Wan was feeling and thinking at the time and not actually Obi-Wan or excuse me is not actually Qui-Gon not actually the, the Qui-Gon the, the force the aura the spirit of Qui-Gon was not the cause of that vision it was Obi-Wan was the cause his own internal thoughts manifested outside because I think he goes I think he goes to that place when he is has questions kind of the what would Qui-Gon do. Sort of thing.
3: I had a thought. Um, <laughs> what if? I mean, it's kind of a new thought, but just go with me here. What if? Yeah. Um, what if you're both right?
2: Impossible.
3: What, <laughs> what if, <laughs> what if, what if by this? Oh, I look at these shots. Okay, first, if you look at if you look at um, Obi Wan and Ahsoka inside that cave, there's this wonderful um, sort of Evil Dead trick. You know, if you watch Evil Dead Two or Army of Darkness, the wonderful camera zooming in as if it's the the camera is the spirit and looks mm, around, and then right. Obi Wan yes. and There's no. One there.
2: Yeah, I love that.
3: The spirit traveled into the cave. You know, to me, I took that, and that happened both with Qui Gon and with uh, with Ahsoka. That happened with both of them. Both You're of those right. visions. You're right. two visions. Same camera trick happened. Um, as if one of those spirits, the daughter or the son, came in to visit them. But just to zoom out a little bit and get a little more high concept, you know, they are supposed to be the personified embodiments of the Force, the light side mm-hmm. and the dark side of the Force. Qui Gon is one with the Force. That's what, and that was part of his training. He trained himself to do that. And with a, 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 a beacon for the Force, which that planet or that giant floating holocron in the, in space <laughs> is, I mean, it absolutely could summon those visions, especially especially with um, Obi-Wan um, being so close to, to to this story, you know, and maybe being trapped in this vision as well. Yeah. You know, um, I just had this thought of, you know, I actually don't think it was literally Qui-Gon. I actually think that the daughter did did come in and, and and become this vision. I don't think that there's a I don't think that there's a motive behind her doing that. I just think she just is. She yeah. is the force.
2: In the same Definitely. way that in the same way that you were as you were saying Sam Witwer just so artfully would in in inject those little um those little uh, you know bits of Palpatine, of Vader, of Star Killer. We don't see that kind of thing with the daughter, but maybe we do in terms of this Qui-Gon vision.
4: Well, right. can we step back just for a second from the metaphysical aspect of it, and, and you mentioned Sam Witwer, Dave. You know him; you've, you've mentioned him several times. And yeah. talk real technically, real quick about his voice work. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, I mean, I, he—it blew me away when I found out he did um, the voice of the Emperor in The Force Unleashed because it right. was spot on, spot on. And then, and then, you know, of course, I watched him as Doomsday in, in Smallville first season, and, and, and just a huge fan of the guy and um i it, it, his his voice his voice work it, it amazes me i'm i'm completely just well, again, just stepping away from the metaphysical for a moment to kiss the butt of Sam Witwer. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm glad you did bring it up because I mean, I was worried about
2: that. I mean, this 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 episode; these episodes are so rich. I was concerned that we wouldn't have time to step back and look at this from you know outside the universe. And he, you're absolutely but, right. I mean, it, it is phenomenal, phenomenal work by Sam Witwer. I mean, not just not just his ability to mimic, but I mean, just the 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 pattern and just he just. He's great just just yeah, just fantastic yeah. and he does it with a lot of restraint you know some guys would have just gone in there and be like hey watch this but it seemed like it was done with just the right amount just the right touch
3: well it's funny that you say restraint I, I would I would agree with that in fact I would ref, reframe that and re restate that by saying he he really made clear choices made had really clear moments this is, you know, and, and that's what made him terrifying. He was very calm until until someone called him a Sith or said something about yeah. the Sith. And then he just freaks out and says, we will destroy the Sith. And what Sam's great at, you know, is, is when he, and I don't know if people know this, I mean, I've recorded Sam just, you know, uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of times, obviously, for Force Unleashed. And, and not just for as Starkiller, but also as the Emperor, and also as all of these aberrant clones in the second game. I mean, he just did so much voice work uh, for that series. And he is, uh, I'm not kidding you, I've recorded a lot of voice actors. He is the loudest, most terrifying, <laughs> and I mean, what, loudest actor I have ever recorded. he He's one of those guys that, that blows uh capsules and i don't mean like you know he, he ruins the microphone i'm saying the microphone is distorting at the capsule before it even hits the mic pre like the guy <laughs> is, you have to put a really a high impedance microphone on him or or you know distance mic him or put a second one behind the first one in order to get a clean recording and and, wow. and um and because he has so much power and he brings that into the studio and it's like the studio can't even contain him you know and when he screams, I guarantee you that if you were there in person when he screams, we will destroy the Sith like that in that altar of Mortis scene with Anakin. It, it must have been terrifying for the other. <laughs>
4: well, and, and he's and he's got such an intense look about him as well.
3: Yeah, he does. You know, and you, when he destroy, I mean, his whole body gets into it, and his face goes red, and his veins pop out of his neck, and and I will say to that end, um, I, I I have to give credit to the I, I think the Clone Wars cast is is. You know some of the the best talent in in uh, in the business, hands down. But I will say there was something about Matt Lanter in these episodes where his performance was yeah what, the best I have ever ever heard. It was so good and so yeah. full of character, and he was making clear choices too. It was almost like the whole cast knew they were doing something special. It was
2: it was epic. It was it was absolutely epic, and I think they realized. I mean, this was. This was as close as they were, you know, I think as they have been to making, like, this is serious contribution to Star Wars lore. And Mm -hmm. I got to say, I'm glad you brought that up, David, is I kept watching Anakin. I'm like, there were moments where I'm like, he's so Han Solo here. He's so cool. Mm -hmm. I love where he talks about getting off this rock and, you know, he's so comically impatient at times, you know. You only and, hear
3: them talking to each other, like they got off the page and it was rehearsed. And there were these little moments that, you know, are hard to conjure up when you're in a booth alone, you know, or even with the rest of the cast in front of a microphone looking at a script and, and you're all there together. But being able to visualize that you're calling off to the daughter like, you know, yeah, I, I, I was fine until she ran off. Right. Oh, that thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Those yeah. little touches you know really take a lot of imagination when you're in the studio to do and they take really careful direction and they take really clear communication you know the clock's ticking you got all those people there and and right. um and and there's just something about match everyone's performance yeah. I mean, ashley ashley
2: has- too i have a note here about ashley i mean they all deserve a lot of credit but uh oh. ashley and and james ronald taylor i mean there were so yep. many times where I felt like I was hearing old Ben. I wasn't thinking yep. about about Ewan McGregor anymore. I yep. was thinking about just Ben, Obi-Wan, you know, the one we grew up with.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, let's not forget that not only did Sam Witwer do a fantastic job voicing Sun, and of course we know his work as Starkiller and the Emperor, but how about that crazy little creature that was in yeah. the cell with Ahsoka? That was voiced by Sam, yeah. too. And Sam I- did that, too? Yes, Yes, and and to me, that was like, wow, what a diverse moment for him, you know, after hearing him do The Sun uh, in a very dialogue-heavy episode for him. Then to just turn it around and throw out this completely unique, weird character that you have to be told that's Sam Witwer because it's so Mm -hmm. indistinguishable. So that was a really standout moment. Jim, I've got to tell you, this is how
4: much the Force cast influences my viewings of these things. When that little critter, again, there's that word critter, comes on the scene and he started talking. I was like, there's the next Jimmy Mack impersonation.
0: <laughs> uh, I'll have to work on that one, but I'll do it for you, Steve. I appreciate it. I appreciate you know,
2: it. That, that little guy, that that moment there um, where the, the little, the, you know, Bizarro Yoda, does he have a name? I don't know.
3: He, he, I don't think he does. He doesn't no, have any.
2: We're just going to call him Bizarro Yoda or the Critter, as uh, as Steve calls it. But <laughs> uh, you know, I, there was something very Jabba's Palace about that—the way it was lit, and yeah, and he just yeah. kind of appeared. It, it it reminded me, just took me back as a you know a six-year-old kid seeing Return of the Jedi for the first time and seeing all of these these crazy characters, and you know when Han was when Chewie was in the in the in the cell and it just it for some reason there was kind of a Jabba's palace vibe to me with this creature and a lot of speaking of creature uh steve a lot of people weren't calling him critter they were calling him creature a la harry potter oh, um, come on yeah i all right i know and jimmy Maxwell still like doesn't harry know potter what a muggle is next, yeah yeah and but um all right let's talk about anakin because um because david brought him up uh there were some interesting things with anakin a lot of really cool stuff he was talking about the when he when he massacred the Tuscan Raiders, and it's it sounded as though he was looking for something more, he was looking for some satisfaction. But all he all he tasted, he said, uh Jimmy Mack was vengeance. And he said, uh uh how was that love haunted by what would happen if I let go? Um, my love is haunted by what would happen if I let go. I mean, that's heavy stuff. That's heavy stuff. Can you ever? And and this is when Shmi, the apparition of Shmi, says, "says That's not love. That's a prison." Is that real? Is that love? Where the only, it's almost like he's not. He doesn't love the person of Padme. He only loves the idea of not being without her,
4: without without being alone. White Snake, take it away. (laughs) Is this love
0: (laughs) that I'm feeling?
4: (laughs) But what, what 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 what. what do you
2: what do you say, Jim? Is it love, as White Snake said so eloquently?
0: Oh, um, yeah. It, I mean, yeah. He's he's attached. So, uh, but is that love? He, well, he clearly believes he's in love. He's Does he? Motivated. I don't know. He's, I don't know because
2: he's saying, "My love is haunted by what would happen if I let go." Mm.
0: He's God. already in that fear of loss. Yeah. He's afraid to lose Padme yeah. just yeah. like he lost his mother. So he can't enjoy being in
2: love with her because he's too worried about losing her. He's afraid of being alone. Yeah.
3: You I know? know. And, and... That girl. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, he comes up the elevator and he's nervous. He's like, I haven't seen her in so many years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that, guy, that guy knew he was in love with her before she even opened her mouth, you know, and said yeah. hello again. After, after whatever it was, 10 years later, you know, he's, he's always had it in the back of his mind, this sort of possession thing. I think there's probably real love there, but but there's also this this kind of obsession.
2: That is you psycho. Know? When you think about that, you go back and you watch episode two. He hasn't stopped thinking about her in 10 years. You know what that kid has done in his life from the time of the end of episode one to where we see him in episode two? All the training, Easy. all the missions, all the stuff that's gone on with him, and he still can't get that dame out of his head? Mm. That is you talk about
4: obsessed, you know, guys, it's it's really no secret. I work with teenagers for a living and you see this kind of thing. And I mean, seriously, you see this kind of thing in teenage relationships where, you know, as an adult looking in on what they're doing, this isn't really love. We call it puppy love. But it's more of this fear of I've got to have someone to affirm me. And if they don't affirm me. And I have no one to affirm me then I have no worth and I have no place in this world, or in Anakin's case, in this universe. And and so you know, it, it, that the statement that Yoda makes in Episode One is so huge because it 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 describes the path that Anakin takes to a T. Fear leads to anger. He said, "I'm scared. What'll happen if I let go? Look what happened when he did let go. He almost killed Padme." You know, and she did die as a result of a broken heart. And I know that's kind of cheesy for some people, but you know, he almost killed her. The person he's supposed to love most in this universe, you know, he force choked her out. Yeah. And she's carrying his child or or his children, unbeknownst to him, children. But you know, it it's a thing where he it is. It, this is if it is any type of love, it's a very immature and it's a very selfish love. And the minute you throw the word selfish in there. You can't. It's not love because love is not selfish, at all. And and so I, you know the the dude acting as me was right. This isn't love. It's a cage,
2: right? You know, right. And, right. and right. I think
4: right. that I think it's very. There is so much. There's a, there's an
2: '80s hair band song in that too. Love, there, this isn't is love. Is it's a cage. I'll find
4: it. Uh, <laughs> She's my cherry pie. No, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but you know there there is in that conversation so much insight into the psyche of Anakin Skywalker. Jason, you've referenced the novel for Episode Three many, many times yeah. uh, on the Forcecast, cast, and you've talked about the idea that in the novelization, you really get the idea that Anakin is broken mentally oh, by yeah, the time completely. we get to him there. And, and you see, and, and by them having these conversations that are very deep, but they're also very revealing to what has been going on in this guy's life, at least since he slashed down the sand, uh, the sand people. If not before, you know that 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 his his obsession with this girl, and his obsession with holding on to everything because he's so scared to lose anything, has just caused him to run himself. By the time we get to episode three, run himself ragged. You know that yeah. he is just ripe for the picking for Palpatine.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's just he's just playing interference constantly and trying to stop. He's trying to stop things that um, maybe he foresees as inevitable, and he's you know it's it's like uh, I, I think I I read this in a review recently about it's kind of almost like Oedipus Rex, where you know they they work so hard to make something not happen that it ends up you know those actions are what actually fulfills the prophecy. He goes yeah. so far out of his way to stop Padme from dying that he you know actually ends up causing her death. Um, tragedy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, one real quick, one other Anakin moment that really struck me was when, when, when we thought that Ahsoka was dead, we're for all intents and purposes, she was dead. He yells at the father that there is always hope. And it seems so unlike Anakin, you know, Anakin is not the cockeyed optimist. And he yells, there is always hope. And I'm thinking like a new hope. His son, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. his son is the hope. His well, his his two children are the hope. Um, Jimmy Mack, uh, there is hope. Is, is there is always hope? Says Anakin Skywalker. One of the things that I think the EU has actually really contributed well to the Star Wars universe, and you know me, I'm not a huge fan, but one thing I market it down, has done Dylan,
4: market down.
2: is the way right. it's rounded out Vader, and so you get in Vader's head in some of these books. Um, like Dark Lord, for example, and you realize that behind the mask, there's so much regret, there's so much guilt, there's so much what could have been, what should have been. And um, so when you hear Anakin yell, there's always hope. Jimmy, do you think that even as Vader, he's still thinking that there's hope for him yet?
0: See, most of it assumed that when Anakin became Darth Vader, everything that was good about him died. But the only person who saw through that veil was his son, Luke Skywalker, who realized there was still good within him. When he completely masked this from everyone he was around, from his master to his former master, Obi-Wan, he buried the goodness that was Anakin way down inside. Most people had assumed that that part had died off and been completely consumed by Darth Vader. But this was not true. So I think that answers your question right there was the fact that Luke was able to still see that glimmer of light within his father, which proves that that held his regret and his compassion and the good that was within him. There's
4: a line in Return of the Jedi when he is when he's having his conversation with Luke and and he simply says, Vader says, it is too late for me, my Mm -hmm. son. Mm hmm. And and I've always always gotten the idea that Vader had had kind of given up on himself. Yeah. But in that moment, he was kind of rooting for Luke.
3: Yeah, you know, that's great. I picked that up too. Please. And, Go ahead.
4: and so I, and so, I think. Well, no, no, that's fine. I just I, I say that because, to me, when you track back then into Anakin's life you know, he's still bound and determined to be the greatest Jedi the galaxy has ever seen. You know, at this point, he refuses to even consider going with the Sith even though we've seen him do some dark sideish things, you know, even in the Clone Wars from the way that he interrogated Poggle the Lesser that one time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it. but I think that in his heart of hearts, he's like, there has to be hope. If there's no hope, what am I fighting for? You know, and it could be um that that whatever happens to Ahsoka between now and Revenge of the Sith could be one of those snapping moments for him where he kind of loses a lot of that David Anakin ends up through uh
2: help with by the by the father he ends up essentially resurrecting Ahsoka from the dead mm-hmm. now he cannot lose Ahsoka like her mother like he did his mother but one of the things that we're hearing fans kind of grumble about is that, yes, are these episodes awesome? Yes, they're, they're super exciting and they, they give us a lot of insight into the characters. But does it jive? Does it all add up to what we see in Revenge of the Sith? You know, Qui-Gon Jinn, for example, we actually see Anakin Skywalker resurrect Ahsoka Tano, bringing her back from the dead. This does not look like a dark, dark side act, but by the time we get to Revenge of the Sith, you know, Anakin believes that resurrecting the dead is something of the dark side. Palpatine's telling them this, so I guess my question is: Do you feel that these episodes do they jive? Do they jive with what comes later?
3: You know, I, I feel like I feel like with these episodes, every time I I was faced with one of these questions, I had to just kind of. Zoom away from from the literal and get more into uh, the metaphorical because mm-hmm. you know these episodes to me are really out of time. I mean they're re- they're really out of out of any sort of timeline. And you know as Star Wars fans we're so so obsessed with with what's canon and what isn't and what's timeline. I mean one of the first things I saw when I when I saw Qui Gon and one of the reasons Jimmy why I, I also don't feel that that's Qui Gon is because. It completely repaints the scene between Yoda and um, and uh, and Bail Organa and and Obi Wan at the end of Episode Three. You know, it's like and he goes Qui Gon. Oh my gosh! You know, I mean. Yeah. Well, he's already—he's like, oh yeah, Qui Gon, yeah, I've been there, done that. Thanks. We were on
2: the <laughs> I, I actually, I actually have a T-shirt. Uh... <laughs> yes,
3: yeah, so I talked to Qui Gon on Mortis. Yeah, I talked to Qui Gon already. Whatever. We're big hol- holocron floating in the sky. <laughs> but but I mean, we we are obsessed with this stuff, you know. And and you know, we were talking about you know the 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 sort of uh, religious or spiritual or, or symbolic overtones of this thing. I once read this quote that you know to to get a little bit more into the religious studies side of the thing i read the cs lewis quote that said you know uh god or any sort of deity doesn't you know time is time is a very human uh is a very human experience it's how we experience our free will but if you are an om, omniscient being uh time does not exist it's all happening at once it it, it just you know that's a simple view of, of things you know mm-hmm. what is to come you know you can't stop what is to come they even say it, it just it just is It is what it is. I I don't like that phrase, but, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's what will be will be sort of thing, you know, and, and, um, uh, and, and that's why there are all of these echoes of things that haven't happened. We mentioned the throne room, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we mentioned a lot of those different things and, um. And that's kind of what's going on here you know and and my feeling about these episodes is just to let go and just enjoy the exploration of the mythology behind these characters these beloved characters these star wars characters that we've been that we've been uh, uh so familiar with all this time you know and does it jive well it does to me because to me the the show. Um, you know, and I hate to bring up, up Star Trek, but to me, when the next generation was really, really good, it was when there was this episode that was a total rule changer. When when uh, they, you know, there'd be some sort of um, lapse in time or that episode where they kept re- experiencing the same 45 minutes over and over and over again, and mm. you're like, what is going on? Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And what makes these episodes such game changers for Star Wars is Star Wars is such a, a linear narrative most of the time. Yeah. And these episodes, to me, just are... Aren't that, and I feel like that's the point of these. You know, mm-hmm. when Dave Filoni says that it's all metaphor, it, I you know I, I take it at, at his word that that's what George is saying. It's an exploration of of these characters, and it's a vision quest of, of Anakin's. You know, and and um, that's what I'd always heard about these episodes anyway. So I know my 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 vision of that is kind of skewed because I've heard that these were coming up, just kind of you know through working at LucasArts Arts and and knowing you know some folks, but. Uh, that worked on them, but I mean, really, they are just kind of um, uh, uh, a lot of symbols for what is to come and an exploration of this of this symbology in this in this uh saga uh
2: hey, Steve, you know one of the the biblical connections that I kind of made is if you go back uh to Genesis, you can almost pick up a spiritual um, or metaphorical uh, version of creation, and then there's also one that's kind of literal where the uh, you know they're actually talking about clay and and forming bodies and that sort of thing. There's two different versions there's actually a version like a a literal version of the history of these beings that the father talks about. He said yeah. that they withdrew from the temple world, yeah, and they live as uh acharites um that they were that their force fielders were neither sith nor Jedi. Um, and we embody shapes that are reflections of the life forms around us, and they found the uh the orb the uh the holocron the giant holocron in the sky, as David was calling it uh <laughs> as a sanctuary, and he says and a prison so you mm-hmm. so you not only do you have the the notion that they are embodiments of the force that they are metaphors, but they also have a very you know for lack of a better term real history too.
4: You know there there's a part of me that as I was watching these two episodes I really resisted the urge to let these three people be any type of embodiment of the force and rather and especially with the idea that they are created beings you know he says we have a history and 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 so the fact that these these three people are some type of created beings further lends you know to me the, the 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 proof that maybe they're not embodiments of the force necessarily but they are some type of creation that is so powerful within the force that they rose above whatever was being done by their contemporaries with the force at the time and and this father realized you know and 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 i i got the sense they were very ancient in their existence and he realized that they needed to go somewhere where they could do no harm to the universe where they would not throw things out of whack or out of balance and and so and so i look at them and 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 i tend not to think of them as again not as embodiments but maybe for whatever reason they've taken on these representations of the force, the dark side, the light side, the 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 fulcrum or, or or whatever that keeps the balance between the two. And um and and again though, also and I go back to that George Lucas interview where he said that the force was imbalanced once evil was gone. Mm-hmm. They have a very myopic view, even in their ancient wisdom and their ability to touch a lightsaber and just kind of force it right back into the hilt and all this other stuff, that they still don't quite get what the maybe what the force is all about maybe i don't know it's, it's there, there's still some type of limitation on their view of the force and i think anakin really his appearance kind of throws that into turmoil for them i i just sitting here as we're talking and and can i just i'll just go ahead and say i've had a blast just talking star wars with everybody <laughs> um just sitting here i thought that that occurred to me is and we'll have to see this third episode to see if it really comes to fruition if if these things dave talks so much about how so many things echoed and so many things echoed back to especially the the movies that we know and love whether it be a line here or a line there the delivery of a particular line and i noticed that too um but now i'm sitting here thinking what if this whole thing Kind of, it kind of parallels the saga of Anakin Skywalker you have these three beings who have their world the way they like it and all of a sudden this kid comes in who has some type of uh, connection to the force that's greater than anything you know maybe even they've seen they kind of relate to him but still he's he's still outside of the box that they've put themselves in the same way that he is outside of the box that the jedi have put themselves in and as he comes on the scene, and they can't quite deal with that, what happens? But the dark side rises. Now, the only, and, and there's a sacrifice of someone on the light side, uh, just like with Obi-Wan in episode four, with the, you know, the sister kind of threw herself in in the way um, to prevent death. And then her death brings about the life of, you know, brings back the life, rather, of Ahsoka and and. And so the only thing we've got to see in the third one is Nia Numb flying out of the exploding holocron in the sky going, muhada, muhada, muhada. And, um, and, and we'll have a, a distinct parallel. But no, I do. There's, these parallels really are, you know, and especially based on the, the preview we saw for next week, I really think that this is Anakin's big trial. You know, mm. that this is the Force itself Putting Anakin Skywalker to the test um, when it all comes down to it because of all of these things we see. Do you notice that the um,
2: duel – you notice the duel between Anakin and Ahsoka was lit very similarly and very much – we keep using this word echoed, but it's true – echoed the duel of uh, the Battle of Heroes at the end of Revenge of the Sith between Obi-Wan and Anakin. But the roles were reversed. Yep. And some and of the Anakin
4: the, was fighting. I was so glad to see them show Anakin be very defensive. Yes, he right. Wasn't, he never got a aggr- he never got overly aggressive with Ahsoka until he just had to. And can I just say, there was a moment when Ahsoka had that dagger, and she was walking up to the sun. She turned and she looked, and yes. the way was animated, I'm like, is she about to just completely say, "I'm good." You know, and totally pull, the, pull one over on the sun, but it was... Well, that's what I did, thought,
2: I, too. I thought there was yeah. a moment where she hesitated. She looked down and she thought, ah, now I have the power. I've got the one ring.
4: Right, yeah. You know, and it's my precious. It was, yeah. yeah, yeah, my precious. Exactly. Yeah. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and so, yeah, I, But but to go back to your original point, as far as these beings... I don't know that that they are embodiments of the force because if he, you know, he they, they have a history. They are creations, yeah. And um, you know, in the same way that you know, to reference the biblical uh, the biblical account of creation and everything, you know, the, the the Bible is explicit that the God of the Bible in in, in the Christian religion it has no beginning and no end. That He is eternal, and He is, you know, and 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 Dave quoted C.S. Lewis that. The idea that this omniscient being exists outside of time because he created time mm. um, if these guys if these beings are creations, then, then they are not the force because I've always looked at the force as and and, and, made, and this is my own personal myopic view, I guess, as you know not necessarily having a, a distinct personality, but being eternal that way you mm-hmm.
2: know um, that, a, that it, I always looked at it like it's, it's the principle it's actually the real when you get when you when you strip it all down you get past atoms and molecules or whatever that the underlying principle or idea of the universe is the force it's yeah. kind of the way kind of the way i've looked at it um david let's talk about the the chosen one prophecy uh we see yeah. we we first hear about it by mace windu in episode 1 uh you refer to the the one the, the prophecy one to bring balance it's and then we've it's kind of alluded that Anakin has a divine birth. There's no father. I can't explain what happened. And you couple it with these episodes, and it seems like Anakin is the is the one to bring balance is the, is the chosen one to replace the father. He has these children. Who embody the light side and the dark side? I mean, by extension, when you kind of like add it all up, does that does that mean that that Anakin truly is of divine origin, and that Luke and Leia are perhaps in some way um, similar to son and daughter?
3: You know, I I actually think well, my, well, then we have to get into sort of the 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 how we interpret the movies, and and um, I felt like. You know, between episode one and episode three, there was this time of oh my gosh, you know they they're exploring immaculate conception and all of this stuff until the scene when they're at the Montcalmari Opera in in episode three, and he says, uh, "Have you ever heard of the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise?" Right, and he tells this story about how he could keep his uh, you know loved ones from dying and how he found a way to create life. And basically, his apprentice, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's implied that his apprentice was Palpatine, you know, learned all of his secrets and, and killed, became powerful and killed him in his sleep. Well, ever since then, I feel that you, you can argue it is strongly implied, if not just full-on said to you, that, that Anakin was, was basically uh, a conception or was conceived by Palpatine, as a way of completely coming to power and, and taking over the universe. Everything is, is, is is transpiring as I have foreseen, you know, mm-hmm. and and in fact you can. I mean, nothing ever goes as planned, right? It turns out that this this uh, person that he's manip- been manipulating forever. I mean, he kind of you can say he manipulated everything. He manipulated the invasion of Naboo. He was the Phantom Menace, right? He manipulated right. the invasion of Naboo, the the planet where he he was at, in order to get these Jedi out to Tatooine to discover this boy. You know, they probably let them go. Uh, you know, the blockade let them go, and and you know steered them there because he knew that they would. So maybe he chose Naboo and order to do that. I mean, you can work backward you can reverse engineer this thing forever to argue that the chosen one is is a product of the of the universe's ultimate evil, which is Palpatine. He by far more than any Sith in the history of Star Wars rose to power as such such incredible power and completely blinded the most powerful Jedi in the universe, including Yoda, and, and you know, from from the dark side. It completely clouded everything. And 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 uh, placed him in this, you know, very humble home with this very loving mother. And that conflict, you know, between him him being, you know, raised by this woman and, you know, becoming a Jedi, but really being a pawn of Palpatine, you know, no wonder he's got such tremendous power and no wonder he's struggling with good and evil. I mean, it, it's a big question that you ask, but I mean, it, it, when I get into when I really get into what the prophecy of the chosen one means, you know, It didn't go well for Anakin. It didn't go well for the Jedi. They looked at the prophecy of the Chosen One, and they interpreted it like, Anakin is going to be the hero that is going to deliver us from this war. And that's not what happened. Anakin is the person that won the war for the dark side. However, Palpatine thought, Anakin is the person that is going to get me to power. Well, Obi-Wan messes him up, and eventually, you know, Anakin ends up killing the Emperor. So that didn't really work out as planned. Balance right mm. you know there's this there's this balance between the two i mean i, mm. I, I, I I'm kind of going off here, but I mean this prophecy is it's just like Anakin 's life you know it doesn 't go as planned it's 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 messy mortis says in in the beginning of of the Alter of mortis episode, how simple you make it uh light and dark is this that we one exists without the other it 's all. It's it's all you know together. You know the, fa- the 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 balance between the good and evil and the father. I mean, there's this sort of this uh, this uh, trinity of, of characters that are that are basically the force. There is this scale, and Anakin is this lightning rod that is right in the middle of all of it. And um, that's that's kind of how I've always pictured it. But again, that all hinges on whether or not you believe that uh, Palpatine basically planted Anakin years ago as part of a decades-long plot to take over the galaxy
2: <laughs> heavy stuff Jimmy you said uh, that you wanted to say something about the trials did you see something uh, in these episodes that made you wonder more about the trials or are you thinking maybe these episodes are a trial of some sort
0: yeah that's kind of what I'm getting at I'm not saying that I've completely committed myself to this this method of, of thinking how it's all going to wrap up but could this be Anakin's Jedi trial. We know it happens between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, so this would be the proper time frame for this thing to happen. Could this be orchestrated as a Jedi trial? And maybe Ahsoka isn't really going through all this. Maybe Obi-Wan isn't. I... It's, it's hard for me to, to really put my finger on why I feel that way. Mm-hmm. I just hope that it doesn't all end with Anakin waking up in a bed on a farmhouse surrounded by Palpatine, Rex, and Yalaran. And he's saying, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there. Oh, there is no place like home. But I don't think – I, I certainly hope that that's not the way this is going to end. as it just being simply a vision or a trial? For Anakin, I hope this has bigger impact on the saga as a whole. But I'm, I'm just saying that because I mentioned earlier in the show, they did black out and they woke up much like Wizard of Oz in a different place, strange place where the absurd happens. I'm just wondering if they finally escape, will they awaken from a dream? Or will or will just Anakin awaken from a dream? I kind of hope it does not end up being that way, but hmm. it, it could. So well, Jim, on. I don't
4: I don't think it'll necessarily happen that way. You know, David's made the point that this thing keeps happening out of time, out of time. I see the I see it more it ends with them getting out of that holocron in the sky, and suddenly um, they are in radio contact again with the others, and, um, and and it'll and there might be a line like, "Well, we lost you there for a second, but we see you now." You know, yeah. and when you find out that this that took the course over what seemed like days was you know just a few minutes, and, right? Um, yeah, and it Th- was a vision that all three of them had.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, there was an episode, I think it was Star Trek: The Next Generation, where uh, Picard lived like an entire lifetime.
0: Oh yeah, and yeah. it
2: was that ended up just being minutes. I mean, how messed up would that make a person? I mean, so. Yeah, our, our, no, that it wasn't was number
0: one.
3: one. <laughs> <laughs> but, it was you know, hell. <laughs> back to the beginning of of when you said it was more fantasy than sci-fi. I actually felt it was more sci-fi than fantasy, Steve, because oh, wow. it, it, it actually became it it became this thing out out of the norm. You know, it became this. Yeah. It wasn't a narrative. It was like. What if, you know, we bent yeah. the rules of, of the space-time continuum? And, this, you know, yeah. it, it reminded me of Star Trek. All
2: right, let's go to the voicemails. We've got a voicemail. This is John in Cleveland, and he uh, wants to chime in on these episodes.
3: Hey, Jason. Uh, it's Jimmy. It's John in Cleveland.
5: This Mortis episode that we saw this Friday was one of the greatest episodes of the Clone Wars of all time. I think we all know that. I mean, I loved everyone's visions, loved Qui-Gon, Shmi, and grown-up Ahsoka which had to be my favorite out of the three. But it left me questioning some things. Now, I know Dave Filoni said, watch the whole trilogy, give it a chance, but I'm confused here. We all assumed that Anakin, after he fell to the dark side, he eventually redeemed himself by killing the Emperor, and the prophecy was fulfilled. He brought balance to the Force, and he was, in fact, the Chosen One. But now we know that being the Chosen One meant that Anakin would have had to stay on Mortis and keep the son and daughter in balance. Well, we all know he never did that. So what happens when Father dies? Is the Force out of balance? So who eventually kept them in balance? Anakin went on, yeah, he destroyed the Emperor and then died. But, I mean, who's keeping the son and daughter in balance after the father dies? because it's obviously not Anakin. So Anakin wasn't the chosen one. Anakin didn't bring balance to the Force. I don't I don't know what to think now. After father dies, who keeps the son and daughter in balance?
2: All right, I think we've uh we we've, we've got the idea, John. Um well, <laughs> poor John he sounded like he's really struggling with this he's like how oh, my God. <laughs> who is keeping the in Palace
0: <laughs> tell me
2: please <laughs> poor John we're gonna try to help right, you John. out
0: here uh, you and know sh- go ahead Jim my junk- John left this voicemail right after right, only right. seeing overlords. Exactly, he did exactly. Not, yes. this yes. is right. prior to the of right of
2: John's mind has been further blown by the fact that it is not the father <laughs> who dies; it is indeed the daughter. So, John is laying in a fetal position right now. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> Poor John. Um, well, you know, it's, the the question is, you know, is Anakin the fulfillment of the pro- of the prophecy? Well, m- perhaps, perhaps. But is the prophecy about these these anchorites, or is the prophecy about something something bigger? And these these anchorites or anchorites or whatever um, anchorites are just um, a, a manifestation or a representation of of the prophecy.
4: Um, I, I wish I wish I had the dulcet tones of Billy Dee so that I could put John at ease right now. Yeah, we, we say, need John, we need to cue the music. <laughs> yeah, John, calm down. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> I, I think that I think when we see this third episode again, I, you guys said it last week or a couple of weeks ago that every time Star Wars answers a question, it opens up like ten or twelve new ones. Yeah, and and I think I think that that big question of the balance of the Force thing will be a little closer to being answered, and I think that we'll be satisfied that when, when the Emperor goes over the side and he hits the windshield of the Millennium Falcon and he finally freezes and blows up in the Death Star, that um, a la Robot Chicken, that he <laughs> that, that balance has been brought to the Force. You know, I, I always have to go back to what the Creator said. You know, when, when Vader comes, when Anakin returns, you know, and yeah. he throws the Emperor over the side, that is the bringing of balance to the Force. And I love that... You know, George Lucas had a quote in that same featurette. Even when Anakin was Darth Vader, he was still the Chosen One. You know, mm. and that's a that's a constant that we don't get away from. And I, and yeah. I think
2: again, I don't know, I don't know, I don't it's know. I don't know. A, it's 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 not like George has never changed his mind on a thing or two before. That's so what we'll, we we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, see. Yeah. Well, I mean,
4: until I hear different, uh, yeah, you yeah. know. But I'm just I, what I'm saying. Yeah, is, I, know, is I, I remember that thing, thing I said. See. Yeah, you
2: know. Uh, yeah, I didn't really mean that. Yes. Yeah.
5: Hey, Jason and Jimmy, it's Kevin Lyle. I just wanted to venture my opinion on the latest episode of The Clone Wars regarding Qui-Gon Jinn appearing to Obi-Wan as a Force ghost. Um, You know, and this, of course, obviously contradict Revenge of the Sith when Obi-Wan was clearly surprised when Yoda mentioned that he was talking to dead people. Uh, In this week's episode, she's obviously not there, and she was one of those Force wielders. So I believe that uh, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka will consider that their visions were also fake. However, in the end, I think the Qui-Gon vision was real. And Obi Wan just may not believe it. The same could be said of Ahsoka's vision of her future hot self. Um, That's a discuss among yourselves, ghost dealers.
3: In
2: case you didn't hear that, Kevin Lyle said her future hot self, referring to the uh, Ahsoka vision. Uh, Shame on you, Kevin. Shame, shame, shame. Uh, Jimmy, another one in your camp. Qui Gon's real, the rest aren't, says Kevin Lyle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. I really think we were seeing the spectral version of Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn and that's the first time he broke through. And the way I justify it with the last or one of the last scenes in Revenge of the Sith is the reason Obi-Wan is so shocked to hear Yoda refer to Master Qui-Gon returning is because at that point in time he kind of Buried that down a little bit, that he had this vision of Qui-Gon Jinn, probably for fear of feeling like he was going insane. Mm. Maybe he didn't really, you know, maybe he thought, whoa, whoa, I didn't see that. I did not see that. Maybe he had those thoughts going through his head that he was actually hallucinating or it was a byproduct of what was going on. All right, on now this is the first, plant. this <laughs> is <laughs> your first explanation that I, on
2: this, Jim, that I've bought. I'm, all right, what you're selling, I'm buying now all of a sudden. So, this is an interesting idea. It, let's say that, you know, they wake up and it's all kind of a dream. Obi Wan has no reason to believe that that really was Qui Gon. But what if it really was? What if it really was Qui Gon reaching out to Obi Wan through the Force? Because it seems as though the other two visions have some sort of motive. Or some sort of agenda. The Qui-Gon vision doesn't really have an agenda. Let's go back and revisit what he says. Um, Have you done as I asked? I'm here because you're here. This planet is a conduit, both an amplifier and a magnet. If he is the chosen one, we'll find out here. If not, it's a very dangerous place for him to be. There's no agenda there. So I don't, Jim, I'm,
4: I'm starting to come around. And and the thing is, is based on based on what happens in this third episode, it could be that they just mark it all up to some type of crazy force visions that come from within themselves, and so Obi Wan never really believes
3: that it's the real Qui Gon. Yeah, yeah. What, what if we get to the end of the next episode, and and for some reason their their memory is like completely f- fuzzy and they don't remember it. and The only oh. person that remembers it is Ahsoka. You guys don't you remember the thing with the thing? <laughs> We <laughs> the signal turned out to be nothing. But what if we
4: get? What if we get to the end of the next episode and they're flying out of the big holocron in the sky and they're all sitting there and they're talking and all of a sudden Qui-Gon pops in, and is like, "Yeah, that was really crazy, guys."
3: <laughs> that's right, right. How yeah. Was all for bloop.
4: Credits. <laughs>
2: credits. <laughs> credit. Right. No, I mean that's it that.
3: Does be whales here and then credits? <laughs>
4: Yeah, better be well, here, Captain.
2: <laughs> By the way, did you? I lo- I mean, there was a line right out of there, out of, out of Star Trek Five. You know, tell me your pain, so I may take it from you. You know, or whatever it was. The Shmi says, "Where is your pain, so I but, might take it he's away."
4: He's Star Trek Five,
2: totally Sybok. I love a little love of Star Trek Five. <laughs> Appreciate that very much. Uh, here's a voicemail. This is from Greg. He uh, he wants to talk about Dooku. So uh, take it away, Greg.
1: Hey guys, this is Greg from, uh, Pittsburgh. I was calling, I was just listening to your, uh, Night Sisters trilogy, um, roundtable, and you guys were talking about, uh, why Dooku never talked to Asaj about overthrowing Falcon and why he was talking to, uh, um, Savage right off the bat about it. And, uh, I don't think that, uh, Dooku ever really considered overthrowing Sidious until Sidious told him he had to eliminate um, Asajj, and that was kind of a turning point for Dooku, and Dooku decided, you know what, I need to take this guy out, so that he doesn't start taking my people out even more. So, you know, just a different point of view, I think that, uh, that I don't think that Dooku ever really thought about it with Asage. and, you know, not that Asajj wasn't capable of helping him, but just that he didn't have the thought of needing, of the, the necessity to take him out. So, just thought I'd throw in my two cents. I uh, love the show. Uh, keep it up. Thanks, Bye.
2: Good thoughts, Greg. I, I, I think, I think Greg might be onto something. You know, we'd raised the question about uh, why, why was there never we never saw that that scene uh, between Dooku and Asajj like we did with Duku and Savage about thro- overthrowing him. And Jim, I do you remember I asked you on the roundtable was it was it was it was it grief that. Dooku was feeling there, you really I, I had a sense that there was a, you know, uh, some loss, some feelings of loss. And you said, no, 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 it's it's about his 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 plan. And maybe maybe what, what Greg is saying here, this is him this is his oh crap moment. This is I gotta take this
0: guy out before he takes me out. I could be next. Yeah. Yeah. I I believe I, I said something similar to that on the round table. And however, I do think that the prime reason for Dooku having Asaj work for him is so she could he could groom her to become his apprentice, so they could overthrow Sidious. That's the nature of the Sith. Dooku would be a poor failure of a Sith Lord if he wasn't plotting overthrowing Sidious. And when he lost Ventress, he lost a lot of equity, a lot of time invested, and now he's he's at Square one. So when the Knights Sisters present Savage Press, he immediately jumps into warp drive with his training and includes him in on the plotting because he has to make up for lost time. Right. He spent a lot of time with Asaja under his wing, and now he lost her. So he's got to get back, you know, he's got to move from square one to square ten. In a matter of minutes. So he had to amplify and speed up Savage Opress's training so he could get back on the task of plotting Sidious's demise. And as soon as Sidious would get wind of
2: how powerful uh, and fierce Savage was, Dooku had to be thinking, well, my God, who's he going to choose? You know, I'm an old man and look at this guy. So I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right. He had to totally put the whole plan into, into uh, Hyperdrive. No, sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, very dec- sure, you know, it, it's, it's the same thing with Sidious. When he lost Darth Maul, he had to make up for lost time. So he got a guy who was already trained in the Force arts and then manipulated him to the dark side so he could be his apprentice until Anakin Skywalker was ready
2: right it's like it's like um yeah adopting a, a teenager, so you can get through all the all the all the all the bad you know the terrible twos and all of that, just kind of get get past all of that stuff um all right well let's talk about next week's episode or this week's episode actually this the 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 the, the ultimate uh, ending of this of this trilogy. The Ghosts of Mortis, according to uh, the episode guide at StarWars.com, the Jedi remain stranded on Mortis and the sun aligned with the dark side of the Force renews his efforts to convert Anakin as the Jedi prepare for a decisive confrontation. I remember sitting here in the Placial Force cast studios in one of our first interviews with Dave Filoni and I said are we ever going to see like flashbacks to, uh you know, uh, characters, you know, Ala la qui like they did in the Gendy series, or, or better yet, flash forwards, we might see like, uh, you know, Darth Vader or some of the original trilogy characters or something like that. And uh, I never truly believed we'd ever see it. But it looks like in this episode, we're gonna get it. We're actually gonna see some of this.
3: That preview on on uh, that I saw, you know, where it 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 almost looks like Mustafar, you know. Yeah. And,
2: uh, it, yeah. Absolutely. And here,
3: yeah. I mean, it's so it, uh, you hear the music go ba 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 ba. I mean, mm-hmm. you hear, love heroes play. Yep. And and I swear he he says I'm going to give you a gift, a vision of the future. You can see what you're going to become. And I was waiting to hear Vader's breath at the end of that <laughs> and in the preview. Right. <laughs>
4: yeah. I was like I. It was one now, of those I heard where, They they had ow. they had <laughs> Well they had Vader on the on the on the preview for the next week's episode on Cartoon Network they showed that you heard Vader's breathing. Oh, they did. Yeah, oh, and seen. and you also got to hear James Arnold Taylor deliver the line, "You were the chosen one." You know, that's like, right. You
3: know, oh. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm excited now. Yes. But, I didn't see that preview. I only saw the one It was a clip. It was just right. a clip of, no. of the
2: this was the teaser that they
4: played after uh, Altar of Mortis. I had to rewind it because in the background after he yells, you were the chosen one. I also heard someone go, it was him, number one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was you. That was you. Oh, okay. um, no, I, I'm so glad that James Arnold Taylor, who does that so well, is able to finally get that into yes. uh, yeah. onto the Clone Wars, which I, I, I think is great. And I'm so glad they let James cut it instead of just like reusing the clip. Uh, yeah.
3: Um, The first time I ever recorded James Arnold Taylor was for episode three of the video game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there were some game, there was actually some movie footage in that. And I think we were in like parallel production with, um, I swear the story's going somewhere. Uh, <laughs> uh it, we were in parallel production with, with, uh, with the movie. And I don't think that, that, um, Ewan McGregor had done ADR yet. And we were using James Arnold Taylor. He'd been used in the Gandy series and we were using him as, as a voice match. And the fir- that was the first time I ever heard him do the, the yelling version of Obi that he does. Yeah. He, he ADR that entire scene. And and that's what shipped in the game. Uh, that you were the chosen one scene. Oh, uh, and you were you know you're meant to to destroy the Sith, not join them. In the game version, that's all James Arnold Taylor. And oh, I wow. was floored at how how he was just spot on. Wow. 2005 when we did that.
2: Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 awesome. I, I love that now he is. Forever cemented, uh, at doing that line in the, in the Clone Wars. Good for him. Cause it's, it's one of his, we've, we've asked him before, you know, are there certain lines that you'd kind of do in your head, you know, or, or do out loud or whatever to get your voice into the shape to do, uh, Obi Wan? And that's, I remember him saying that that was one of the lines, you know, if he has to do a lot of yelling, that that's the one that comes to mind. So yeah, I mean, heavy, heavy preview for next week. And uh, David, you have to check that out. I'm sure somebody there at work can hook you up with the oh, Cartoon Network <laughs>
4: <laughs> teaser. Someone
3: might hey, be. Able I'm to make sure that someone happen.
4: at
5: work can hook you up with the episode. If you <laughs> yeah,
3: well, that's nice true, enough. that's right. I'll, I'll have to call someone at Lucasfilm at this point and Say,
5: hey, did, can I borrow your DVR? <laughs>
4: <laughs> hey, Faloni's so depressed over the Steelers right now. You may be able to trick him out of a copy. Huh? <laughs> Poor Dave. Uh, yeah, take
2: it. <laughs> well, the uh the, the, you know I, I'm glad that this. I mean, I feel like that these episodes have answered so many questions in terms of the boundaries and the 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 boldness that this series is willing to take. I mean, everything from you know it, it, these personifications of the force, for lack of a better term uh all the way to the fact that we're it looks like we're going to be getting uh flash forwards or you know um you know moving forward in time into the movie era stuff uh that I didn't think when this series started that they would ever even dream of doing uh when you look at these episodes and and, and another thing and and, and it, there were a couple of times during these episodes that I had to go am I really watching a weekly animated series <laughs> this feels like I'm watching a movie like, yeah. th- this is like – there's. It, it, I remember George saying one time it's going to be unlike anything that's ever been on TV before, you know, as a weekly series. And I'm like, all right, okay, that sounds good. But really – but damn if it's not the case. I mean yeah. even episodes that I've watched and I've gone, meh, you know, not really my favorite. But just visually and just the the quality of it is just absolutely stunning. I mean some of the shots that come to mind, Anakin climbing up – uh, the mountain uh in in Overlords, um the uh just some of the David, you mentioned the uh the shot where you can see the lightsaber battle going on and it's the same kind of POV as as you see in and Return of the Jedi. It's just everything is so grand and these episodes were probably the most epic of any that we've seen so far. And I just it's it's so much fun to be a Star Wars fan these days with with this kind of stuff. Whether you thought the episodes were great or you didn't, you have to give it to them that this is technically a major achievement. I think
3: this show really shines when it when it's uh, when it does do this kind of work. That's what the show is for. It should be an exploration of of these themes, you know, and really exciting stuff.
4: Yeah. You know, when, I, when we were at Celebration 5, I was hanging out with some members of the Great Lakes Garrison of the 501st, and we were hanging out at, and, and wondering what would happen if we walked over to Dave Filoni and just tipped his hat off his head. And, and we began to make up scenarios where Dave Filoni would Filoni us, and we would never wake up from our unconscious state. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, uh, these, these five episodes coming back from the winter break have felonied me. I mean, I have just been felonied. <laughs> it is, they They are, it It has been amazing. It has been Star Wars like like you dreamed about as a kid. Yeah. You know, these These are the adventures we had as kids, you know, exploring all of this stuff. And, and what if Darth Maul is still alive? I mean, I wasn't a kid when, when episode one came out. But, I mean, you know, what if this person were still alive? What if this happened, you know? And what if they all go to this planet and they're these force wielders? And, you know, it's so the imagination of george lucas as he as he kind of says here's this pitch for this idea now run with it 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 blows me away with the way this guy thinks and the way this creative team thinks and and um you know i'll be honest with you coming in to these episodes i was like well they were good they're deep i don't know if i really liked them uh, uh, it's been a blast just talking star wars with you guys because of these themes that have been brought up i mean it's this is this is talking star wars at its best to me
3: yeah yeah
2: That's going to wrap up our roundtable Look at episodes 15 and 16 Of season 3 of the Clone Wars Overlords And Altar of Mortis Amazing episodes in my book But like I said before For every question that gets answered They ask 10 more but that's what keeps us coming back each and every week and uh it's just getting more and more exciting to see the boundaries that they're pushing uh, not just from a technical standpoint but from a storytelling standpoint and it seems as though they're more ambitious than they were at least that it felt like that they were when the series began so it's it's really refreshing and uh i can't wait to see ghosts of mortis and we'll be back next week to discuss it all final thoughts big honkin what do you say
4: Man, uh, again, just a great episode. The imagination that that goes into this thing. and and Gosh, Sam Witwer, all the voice actors, the the look, the feel, incredible. Absolutely come away, especially after the roundtable discussion we've had. Uh, Loving it. Dave, it was great to meet you. It's always great to talk to Jason and Jimmy Mack. And in the words of Jar Jar Binks, I'm glad that Misa back.
2: (laughs) We are, too. We are, too. David Collins, thank you so much for joining us on the roundtable. Hope you'll come back for another episode. Uh,
3: any f- I, would, I would just absolutely love that. Had a great, great time. Yeah. Any, any, and great. What a great episode or two episodes to be able to talk about. Just really rich and and uh, just had a great time. You know, just to reiterate what Steve said, this was fantastic. Thank you so much, you guys.
2: Oh, anytime, anytime, Jimmy Mack, Your final thoughts. I'm sure you have a couple.
0: I got a few final thoughts for Overlords and Altar of Mortis. Rarely speechless am I following an episode of The Clone Wars, but holy Filoni, this is The Clone Wars I've been waiting for. (laughs) Since the feature film release, I've been wanting the mystical quality of the Force to become a prominent plot device, and here we are. I've been wanting it to be explored deeper and deeper, and while I'm not sure where the anchorite Force wielders fall into the overall scheme of the Force as we know it, I don't think all of our questions will be answered. Next week's episode, Ghosts of Mortis, either. Nor, nor do I want them to be. These episodes are steeped in metaphor, and, and once these episodes sink into our fandom consciousness, it will be very interesting to see how the analogies presented in these episodes impact the film saga itself when we rewatch those, as we're going to do definitely with the Blu-ray and 3D releases coming out soon. Uh, there's, I, I loved all the Lord of the Rings stuff going on with these episodes. Everything from Ahsoka's uh, Smeagol Gollum act when she... Revealed to Anakin her split personalities. Uh, The tower with the glowing orb was like a combination of Saruman's tower and the eye of Mordor. The rocky environment was very much like Mordor. The the single tree, the, the name of the planet itself, Mortis Mordor. You know, I see the connection. I thought it was really great. Ahsoka also reminded me of Gollum a lot after she grabbed that sword and jumped up and looked over her shoulder as Steve mentioned earlier there just seemed to be a very much you know I got the precious so I thought that was fantastic I know that uh, Dave Filoni and a lot of the creative crew on the Clone Wars are big fans of Lord of the Rings as as well as I am and and so I really love to see one franchise that I love seep into the next Um, you know we brought it up a couple times on this episode one of the most compelling aspects of Star Wars is the fact that with every question answered, more questions get asked. And I don't see how the Overlord trilogy would be any different. As fans, these are episodes that we'll be discussing for years and years. And I really love these episodes. Again, I do believe the ghost of Qui-Gon was the actual spirit of Qui-Gon. I believe the vision of Shmi was a trick from Brother. And I believe the future Ahsoka was a forestry. Oh, his name's not brother, his name's Son, I'm sorry. Um, and yes the future Ahsoka was a force dream will we see more Qui-Gon is Anakin really the chosen one do the anchorites actually control the balance of the force in the galaxy I know the subtitle for season 3 of the Clone Wars is secrets revealed but I think as for m- as many questions that will get answered there will be more questions asked Nuke Gunray not in this episode
2: <laughs> and thank goodness for that alright that's they it
5: cut
3: for it. <laughs> <laughs> they caught it. They cast Adrian Wilkinson instead.
5: <laughs>
3: but okay, because she was wonderful.
5: <laughs> <laughs> <But I laughs> Alright,
2: guys, that's it. We're out of here. One. <laughs> <laughs> for David Collins and Steve Glosson. Everybody here at the Clone Wars Roundtable, see you next time. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mac. And remember,
0: the Force will be with you
2: always. This podcast is not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names and sounds of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Force.net
5: LLC, unless otherwise indicated.